We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core here on the American Family Radio Network. So good to have you with us here on the Core. Hey, yesterday I interviewed Governor Tate Reeves of the state of Mississippi. Actually, I think it was Monday. So my days are all getting mixed up and it's already Wednesday. Uh, But nonetheless, earlier this week, I interviewed Governor Tate Reeves. Uh, on the Biden mandates, uh, the Biden jab mandates, there's a couple of them. There's the federal contractor mandate. There's the Department of Labor through OSHA mandate. Uh, so we got a couple of them out there. I talked to the governor of Mississippi about the state of Mississippi's lawsuits against the Biden administration's overreach. I also talked about American Family Association's lawsuit against the Biden administration in which we received temporary relief by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals this past Saturday. So some good news on that front, and we're going to continue fighting. We're going to continue fighting um, until this illegal order, this illegal rule, is rendered ultimately unconstitutional and illegal and illegitimate by the Supreme Court. Because it is. We, We cannot, this is the line in the sand. We cannot, we will not enforce an illegal edict by a bureaucratic agency in Washington, D.C., one that is not founded and rooted in the Constitution and the rule of law. Because if we don't stand up here, when will we stand up? That's the great question. If we don't stand up here, when will we stand up? Because employees ought to have the right and companies ought to have the right More specifically, employees ought to have the right to make their own personal health decisions. If companies, and and more, more than that, the government, the federal government can start meddling around and forcing people to take medicines or shots that they don't want to take, then this whole Tenth Amendment states' rights and the, the, the ability for private employers to regulate their own company uh, goes out the window. And everything comes from Washington, D.C. Whatever the president says, that's what we're going to do. So much for having any type of individual uh, liberty, any type of, of rights uh, from a private uh, sector standpoint. So we've got to fight this tooth and nail, and that's what we're doing right now. Our verse of the week is out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. That's Proverbs 3, verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So may we be in the dwelling of the righteous. Hey, we have our By Design Challenge going on for the month of November. And what we're wanting you to do is to go to our website and share a Thanksgiving tradition that your family has participated in. That's what we're doing this month. 
and it's called the Thankful for Family Challenge. The Thankful for Family Challenge. This challenge is all about families doing activities together to form a stronger bond. What better way to fight Satan's schemes of division than to be intentional in growing together as a family? Um, there are several ideas we offer on our website, but if you go to afa.net forward slash by design, afa.net forward slash by design, you can uh, get our latest challenge there. You can get our latest challenge uh, there on afa.net forward slash by design. You can get a ton of other content there about building godly marriages, about building God-honoring families. And that's what we're uh, aimed at doing here at American Family Association. Today, I want to talk, before we go into the second and third segment, by the way, we're going to have Dan Celia, financial expert, host of Financial Issues, founder, president of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministry. We're going to have him on at 120 to talk about the um, inflation I mean, this inflation just keeps going up. It's never ending. It's not stopping like they said it was going to. Um, And it's definitely not transitory. So we'll talk to Dan Celia about that. And then the last segment, we will take your calls. But I want to talk extensively the rest of this segment about this Kyle Rittenhouse jury, this Kyle Rittenhouse trial going on in um, Kenosha, County, Kenosha, Wisconsin. So some of you remember, but those who don't remember or that the memory is is blurry or vague um, or or nonspecific about what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse, I'm going to walk you through this, all right? I'm going to walk you through this because this this is beneficial for me as well because I had to get up to speed on what all went down in Kenosha, Wisconsin in the year 2020. What all happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin? in 2020. Well, uh, there was an officer-involved shooting that happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin in 2020 um, between an officer and an individual. And uh, the, the shooting spurred protest, all right? The shooting... Uh, the, the protests began on August 23rd, 2020, and they ended September 1, 2020. So this went on for about a week, a little bit longer. And we're not going to get into the Jacob Blake and the officer and the shooting and the details of that because that's not what this trial is about. This trial is about Kyle Rittenhouse, who at the time was 17 years old. And he was carrying a firearm a rifle attempting to protect private property in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And the context of this is that the the looters, the rioters, and the mobs were running rampant, running free throughout Kenosha, Wisconsin, destroying private property, burning cars, burning buildings. It was an absolute disaster. Law enforcement had absolutely no grasp no control of the situation in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It was, and it, it was anarchy. I mean, that's the proper way to describe what was going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And I'm not going to start meddling around in whether Kyle Rittenhouse should have been on the streets of Kenosha with his AR-15 or not. Because once again, that's not what this trial is about. 
this trial is about whether he should be charged with about five or six different charges in re- related to the death of two individuals and the injury of a third individual, all of which three of them attacked and assaulted Kyle Rittenhouse. That's what this trial is about. Uh, so we can get into, you know, well, he, he shouldn't have been on the streets. Well, he shouldn't have been out there trying to play Mr. Policeman. And some of those arguments may be valid, but those aren't really legal arguments. Those are like, was it wise to be out there or not? That's that kind of argument. I'm talking about the law. I'm talking about what the trial is about. That's what I'm talking about here. Um, So here are the five charges, and then we'll jump in play-by-play to what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, So the first charge is first-degree reckless homicide, use of a dangerous weapon. The second charge is first-degree reckless, recklessly endangering safety, use of a dangerous weapon. The third charge is first-degree intentional homicide, use of a dangerous weapon. Uh, the fourth charge, attempted first-degree intentional homicide, use of a dangerous weapon. Some of these are some, the same charges, but for different counts. Um, the uh, first-degree recklessly endangering charge, that's a fifth uh, uh, a charge. And the sixth one is possession of a dangerous weapon, by a person under 18. I'm sorry, there's more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, there's seven charges. The last one is failure to comply with an emergency order from a state or local government. That's the curfew one, uh, trying to accuse him of violating a curfew, of which the judge ruled this week there was no curfew in place that he was violating. And so the prosecutor could not provide substantial evidence that there was a curfew being violated, so that was dismissed. Uh, The charge on possessing a dangerous weapon by a person under 18, he's likely going to be found guilty of that uh, because clearly he was 17 years old. And according to Wisconsin state law, those under the the age of 18 cannot possess a firearm except for hunting, all right? The other charges, the other five, have to do with the shootings that Kyle Rittenhouse was involved in. So it starts by Kyle Rittenhouse is at this car lot claiming to be trying to protect property uh, at the car lot. So he gets in this scuffle, and a fella who is now since deceased named Joseph Rosenbaum begins chasing Kyle Rittenhouse across this parking lot. And all of this is on video, by the way, so you can go watch it for yourself. So Joseph Rosenbaum, who had been in the crowd agitating people, in the hours leading up to this, begins chasing Kyle Rittenhouse. Both of these men have firearms in their possession. Joseph Rosenbaum has a pistol. Kyle Rittenhouse has a rifle. Kyle Rittenhouse is being chased by Joseph Rosenbaum across a parking lot. Joseph Rosenbaum pulls his pistol out, aims it at Kyle Rittenhouse, and at that point, Kyle Rittenhouse shoots Joseph Rosenbaum. All right. So that altercation ended in that manner. At that point, Kyle Rittenhouse flees that car lot looking for a first responder for medical personnel to render aid to the fellow that he just shot, Joseph Rosenbaum. As Kyle Rittenhouse is heading down the street looking for police, looking for law enforcement and looking for emergency medical personnel, to render aid to the person he just shot, 
there are three, at least three individuals that were pursuing him, Kyle Rittenhouse, on foot. One of them was Anthony Huber, who is also deceased. Huber, Anthony Huber, chases Kyle Rittenhouse after this first altercation, chases Kyle Rittenhouse down the road for, I don't know, at least a couple hundred yards, catches up with Kyle Rittenhouse, and as Kyle Rittenhouse is is sprinting down the road, Anthony Huber hits Kyle Rittenhouse over the head with a skateboard. All right? The 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 uh the explanation from the media is Huber leaps at him, Kyle Rittenhouse, and swings a skateboard at his head and neck and tries to grab Rittenhouse's gun before Rittenhouse fires his weapon and kills Anthony Huber. The uh the third person involved here is a fella by the name of Gage Grosskrotz. So at this point, Kyle Rittenhouse has shot two individuals that were assaulting him, both with deadly weapons, because the skateboard uh, can be considered a deadly weapon, especially as the Anthony Huber was going to not only hit Kyle Rittenhouse over the head with a skateboard, but was also reaching for his firearm, which is, of course, a deadly weapon. So Gage Kruskrotz now comes up, also chasing after Kyle Rittenhouse, and pulls a pistol out and points it in the face of Kyle Rittenhouse as Kyle Rittenhouse is now laying on the ground after being assaulted with a skateboard over the head by Anthony Huber. So Gage uh, Grosskrotz then pulls his pistol, aims it at the face of Kyle Rittenhouse, and at this point, Kyle Rittenhouse fires a shot and hits the arm of Gage Grosskrotz. So basically, those are the three main charges. And if you look at the video, if you look at all the evidence that the defense and the prosecutor have been bringing forth this week, it has become very clear that Kyle Rittenhouse was acting in self-defense. That he was acting in self-defense. And even one of the individuals that pulled the pistol on Kyle Rittenhouse said that Kyle Rittenhouse did not shoot at me until I pulled a pistol in his face. That was witness testimony on the stand. We'll talk more about this after the break. AFA at the core, be back in a few minutes. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. A popular effort in social revisionism is happening where racism, which is better described in biblical terms as skin color-based partiality, is a crime of which only people of lighter skin color can be guilty. Let's be clear. Factions, divisions, and dissensions, including those based on skin color, are the fruit of the sinful flesh. The root cause of partiality is sin. Every person regardless of the quantity of melanin in their skin, is capable of partiality. The only remedy for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Recently, Facebook identified the danger their Instagram app is imposing upon young women. In an Insta-ready culture, girls value how they appear on a social app more than how they treat a social peer. It is no wonder that in a culture devoid of moral absolutes, a generation of youth is basing their self-worth on a filtered photo. While it is encouraging that Instagram is taking steps to combat the app's negative effects, it may be a bit of too little too late. Girls today need more. They need God-affirming mentors and programs like American Heritage Girls that help them understand their true identity in Christ. Girls need to connect with a creator who loves them beyond their bad hair day, their messy room, or their failed relationship. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a pre-born pregnancy center, she encounters love and compassion and gets to meet her baby by ultrasound. And I was like, I'm going to go to the abortion clinic. And I already had my mind made up. This mom didn't make it to the abortion clinic. Instead, God led her to a pre-born center. And the lady is giving me my ultrasound. She's like making these weird faces. And then she's like, it's two. And I'm like, I just start crying. I started texting my friends and like, I can't. The ministry of Preborn was able to help this mom save not just one life, but two through ultrasounds. Preborn centers help save babies' lives and souls. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core. Dream after dream, you are speaking to me, breathing word after word of kingdom come. Here at your feet, I can see the unseen. AFA at the core here on the American Family Radio Network. This is Worship Wednesday, so that's the song you just heard there. That was by Kim Walker-Smith, and the song, the name of the song is Throne Room. And when I listened to that song earlier this week, I immediately began thinking about the book of Revelation. And I immediately began thinking more specifically about Revelation chapter 4. And I would encourage each of you to go read that, because when you hear uh, uh, Kim Walker-Smith's song, um, uh, it, it's, it's talking about Revelation chapter 4, and there's other parts of Scripture that talk about the throne room of God. But this is the one that really stands out to me. And in verse 8, 
Um, it says, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, and are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Uh, so I would encourage you to go read Revelation chapter 4. That's what we have to look forward to in eternity. Hey, I want to welcome to the line Dan Celia, host of Financial Issues, also president and founder of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministry. Hey, Dan, welcome back to the core. Walker, it's great to be back with you uh, at the core. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you on, brother. And I had you on a couple months ago or a month or two ago, and you predicted and I mentioned that this inflation is not transitory. It's here to stay. Who knows how long, months, couple years. Uh, but, but now, Dan, all of the Biden administration officials have now admitted that the inflation is not transitory. I wanted to get your feedback. <laughs> well, it's, um, th- they have no choice but to admit it. It's about time they did. And you couldn't pick a better uh, day to talk about this when we are looking at um, consumer prices hit a 30-year high. As a matter of fact, it's been over 30 years. We have to go back to 1988, 89, um, over 30 years ago, since we have seen inflation at this pace. And that, that happened this morning as we see uh, inflation at a you know a, an 8.6% pace that's uh, pretty incredible and it happened so quickly and you know it's interesting you br- you bring up you know the Obama administration hasn't is now just finally admitting it you know the most interesting part of everything that's going on in this economy and this inflation included particularly this inflation um, unlike the Obama administration that blamed George Bush for everything for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not even attempting to blame Trump. And the only people blaming Trump are the people that voted for Biden. And, you know, he owns every single bit of what is going on in our economy. Inflation, the spiral downward of the economy, probably the markets before the end of February. And it's going to, you know, they own it. They yeah. own all of it. You know, Dan, I, I really don't think after watching the Biden administration, and that includes the president himself and all of his economic advisors, um, and then you get into the Fed and the U.S. Treasury, I, I don't really, I have no sense of uh, no sense of confidence that any of these people leading us have the ability to get us out of this. I mean, I, I genuinely, and, and then you get into whether they even want to get us out of this, but I don't think even if they wanted to, they have the ability or the knowledge to get us out of this mess. Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head, Walker, because, you know, it's one thing to have the willingness to do it, which they do not. But it's another thing to have the ability to do it, which they do not. So even if they wanted to do it, which, frankly, I don't believe they want to, I believe that um, they they believed. I don't think they thought it was going to happen this quick, but they felt like, you know, the economy going down and spiraling downward was going to be their ace in the hole when we ran out of things to scare the American people about mm-hmm. and to control the American people and the next crisis being the economy. But you're, you're absolutely right. There's no one in this administration that, uh, and they're not even trying, they don't even try to make a feeble attempt at knowing what's going on 
or or even trying to make up a solution to what has happened. That's the worst thing. That's what's driving me crazy. I mean, they're not even making an attempt. They don't. They just don't. They just don't care about the American people. And I hate to put it like that, but it's tr- the truth. They just don't care about the American people. And I, I think the people in Virginia figured that out real quick. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse. They only care about voters. They care. Of, I don't know what they're going to do as we continue to watch state after state and, and polling place after polling place. We're starting to see a turning of African-Americans and Hispanic people turning towards conservatives. Everybody is sick and tired of the garbage that they're hearing and seeing coming out of the Democratic Party. I don't even want to say the administration, yeah. but the, the Democratic Party in general. Dan, do you think, let's just say theoretically or hypothetically, let's just say that Washington, D.C., including the Biden administration, they just go on vacation for like a year and don't mess anything else up. If the Biden administration doesn't does no more harm than they've already done, which I know that's not going to happen, but let's just say for the case of argument, if the Biden administration stops messing things up with their policies, with their terrible policies, could this economy, could the private sector straighten all this out within a year or two, or, or is it going to have to come from the top down to get this inflation problem fixed? No, it could get straightened out in a year or two uh, through the private sector. There's no doubt about it. The, I, the, the concern, I mean, the only kind of... Uh, fly in the ointment there with with that scenario is, would the private sector have enough confidence to start taking it out? In other words, would they be saying, hey, look, they're not doing anything. Let's get moving and let's do it. Would they do that? I doubt it because they would be too afraid that they would spend billions of dollars doing it and then only to turn around a year from now and them decide to raise taxes, increase regulation, or do something ridiculous that was going to change it. I think it would be a really, I think it would be a really tough case to convince the private sector that it's time to get moving. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the the real problem is. And then and then people would say, see, the private sector can't do it, but it would be much more like the private sector isn't willing to do it because they don't trust the administration. Yeah, and that's when they come in and say, we need more government. We need more government to do exactly. it. Um, exactly. It sounds like they're exactly. creating uh, crises and, and then jumping in to fix it. It sounds a little bit like Obamacare, but uh, but I may be too cynical. <laughs> hey, Dan, thanks for coming on, brother, and uh, thank you for, yeah. for hosting Financial Issues every day on the network, and we appreciate you. Yeah, my joy. I appreciate being on the network at any time, Walker. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Dan. That's uh, Dan Celia of Financial Issues, heard daily weekday here on American Family Radio from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Central here on the network each morning. And you can check out Dan by going to financialissues.org. That's Dan's website, financialissues.org. That was Dan Celia. Um our best bet, folks, is is for the Biden administration to new, do no more harm um, and to let the private sector fix all of this. But, you know, that's that's probably a little bit too optimistic, a little bit too uh, hopeful there. But we'll see where it goes and we'll continue to update you uh, as it relates to the economic news going on in the country. Back to this uh, Rittenhouse trial. I, I didn't, didn't really close that can before the break. Um, I want to go back to this. Because this trial is very important. 
This trial is very important for anyone who would dare to defend themselves with a firearm or really any other weapon of that matter um, about what the repercussions are of, of using force, using deadly force to defend your life. Um, so this, this clip here that I'm about to play is testimony from a uh, Daily Caller reporter by the name of Richie McGinnis. He was in Kenosha, Wisconsin at the location when Kyle Rittenhouse got in this altercation with multiple individuals. And, and one of the individuals, the first individual that was shot by Rittenhouse was Joseph Rosenbaum. And the prosecutor and the media have been trying to paint, paint Joseph Rosenbaum as this saint, as one who did not deserve to be shot, as one who was not advancing on Kyle Rittenhouse with a firearm. Uh, but this is the testimony from the Daily Caller reporter about the actions of Rosenbaum as he was attacking uh, a Kyle Rittenhouse. Let's listen. I mean, you have no idea what Mr. Rosenbaum was ever thinking at any point in his life. You have never been inside his head. You never met him before. You don't I've, know. I've never even, I've never exchanged words with him, if that's what your question is. So your interpretation of what he was trying to do or what he was intending to do or anything along those lines is complete guesswork, isn't it? Um, well, he said, F you, and then he reached for the weapon. That was what uh, Rosenbaum did as he was going after Kyle Rittenhouse. He said an expletive and reached for his firearm. Uh, that's the testimony by a witness that even uh, the process, that was a prosecutor there trying to force the Daily Call reporter, Daily Caller reporter, to admit that we don't really know about Rosenbaum. We don't know what he was up to, what he was trying to do. And the Daily Caller reporter says, you know, basically, clearly he was upset. Clearly, he was going after Rittenhouse. Uh, when you talk about the language he used and and reaching for his firearm, uh, which he later uh, pointed at Rittenhouse before Rittenhouse shot Joseph Rosenbaum. That's the first uh, person who was shot by Rittenhouse who later passed away. Um, the last clip I'm going to play on this topic is, um, and by the way, I didn't bring this on the show, but there's another uh, clip out there circulating of the last individual that was shot by Rittenhouse, and that is uh, Gage Grosskrotz, who got shot in the arm. He survived. He was testifying, and the defense asked uh, this Gage fellow, uh, did, basically, did Rittenhouse shoot at you or point his gun at you before you pulled yours? And he basically said, no, Rittenhouse did not fire upon me until I pointed my gun in his face as he was laying on the ground. That was from one of the prosecutor's uh, witnesses there on the stand. The last clip I'm going to play here, and this is the most um, set, this is the most sobering part of this whole trial, is we have an 18-year-old, uh, a, a young man, Kyle Rittenhouse, who, from all the evidence I've seen, was clearly acting in self-defense. And once again, I am sidestepping intentionally the whole argument where we could talk about was it smart, was it wise for Rittenhouse to be on the streets of Kenosha with a firearm attempting to protect property, that's a whole other debate that would take up the entire show. I'm talking about the legal aspect. That's not a legal argument. That's a, a moral uh, uh, argument on whether he was exercising wisdom and sound judgment or not. That's not a legal argument. I'm talking about the legal argument. That's what the jury is hearing this week. Um, 
Kyle Rittenhouse is trying to explain what happened to him in front of the jury and all the witnesses and the defense and the prosecutor. And this is him. He can't even get the words out. Clip five. Let's listen to this. Mr. Rosenbaum was now running from my right side. Um, and I was cornered from in front of me with Mr. Zeminski. And there were... <laughs> there were three people right there. for a minute, sir. Um, we're going to take a break, uh, about uh, 10 minutes, and please don't talk about the case during the break. What, read, watch, or listen to any comments. All right. Well, that was Kyle Rittenhouse testifying in his own case, in his own uh, murder case, or, yeah, murder is what they're trying to charge him with. Um, and at the end, you hear the judge call for a 10-minute break. And so... I've never been involved in a shooting like this that Kyle Rittenhouse was involved in. Um, but obviously his emotions are very high. He is testifying uh, about a very traumatic event. A very a self-defense scenario where you have to use deadly force is a very emotionally traumatic event. And to me, that, that clearly sends a signal that Kyle Rittenhouse was under assault. He was being assaulted on multiple fronts by multiple individuals, all of which had deadly weapons. And he used self-defense. If you look at the evidence, really, th this should not have even been to trial. Should there have been a grand jury to review it? Maybe. But when you look at the totality of the evidence, which has been out there and is, is being presented before the jury this week, there is not enough evidence to charge him with murder or with homicide. He was clearly acting in self-defense. We'll talk more about this after the break. Walker Wildman, AFA at the Corp. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hannah's Heart. A half-hour program specifically designed to encourage Christian couples walking through infertility and miscarriage. This is not a show that's going to promise you a certain outcome, but this is a show that says however God answers your cry, we know that He's enough. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White each Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. You can find the podcast at AFR.net. We don't have time to be wasting on these phony, trumped-up culture wars. This fake outrage that, that right-wing media peddles to juice their ratings. No, Mr. Obama, this is not fake outrage. 
Dr. Michael Brown says parents are fed up with the cultural brainwashing their children receive in schools, and the left may have overplayed its hand. Read Dr. Michael Brown's blog at afa.net slash the stand. Are you concerned about the future? The AFA Foundation can help. End of year giving allows you to offset your current taxable income, providing you with valuable tax savings on this year's return. And your generous gift will help further the mission of AFA to inform, equip, and motivate people in the culture war for years to come. Through the AFA Foundation, you're supporting the work of the American Family Association by helping individuals and families leave a legacy to help stem the tide of secularism and rebuild our Christian foundations. As the end of the year approaches, carefully considering what to give and when to give it can increase the impact of your gift while still meeting your own needs as well. For example, with a cash donation, your itemized tax return may allow you to receive up to the full value of your charitable gift. Contact the AFA Foundation through Facebook at our website, afafoundation.net, or call 800-326-4543, extension 345. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand. AFA at the Core podcast are available at afr.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core here on the American Family Radio Network. Hey, I want to take your calls. I want to take your calls this segment. Call into the show. Any comments, questions you have about the show today and some of the topics we've discussed, we'd be glad to take your calls. Here's a number, 888 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. 8840 is the number to call in. We'll take your calls this segment. We try to do this each Wednesday during the last segment of the core here on American Family Radio. The number to call in is 888-589-8840. Hey, uh, I've mentioned it pretty much every day the last two weeks, but our streaming platform is up and running. Streaming.afa.net. If you want to create an account there, you can go and do that. And we upload the core there. Each afternoon, we upload the core there to the video platform. So if you're not able to watch the show live on Facebook at AFA at the course page, you can go and watch the show later as we upload it after the show each day on our streaming platform. So you can go to streaming.afa.net and check out our brand new streaming platform. And in 2022, in the, in the, in the coming months, in early 2022, we're going to launch a live streaming option where you can watch the show live on the video platform. So that's some exciting stuff coming up in in the next few months. But we have our streaming platform 
up and running in an hour. You can watch uh, preloaded content there on the on the video platform. Uh, the the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse case is in its final stages, and we will bring you some information on that in the next few days as that case is closed out. Uh, we'll bring you the latest there. Um, uh, a few other issues that I wanted to bring up before we jump to the to the to the calls. Once again, if you want to call in, triple eight five eight nine eight eight four zero. This clip here is a pretty lengthy one. It's about two minutes, but this is a clip of uh, from a lawsuit that was announced uh, where the um, uh, this this lady who used to work for the airline was announcing that she and others, including pilots, are now suing uh, an airline for forcing them to get a shot. And she had adverse an adverse reaction, by the way. Uh, let's listen to this clip announcing this lawsuit against the airline. Good morning. Like the governor said, my name is Lisa Williams. I'm a single mom. I live in Tampa, Florida, and I have 31 years as a flight attendant with a major... U.S. airline. I'm here as a representative for Airline Employees for Health Freedom, a group of over 2,000 of my coworkers who are suing our airline for unreasonable accommodations of indefinite unpaid leave in lieu of taking the vaccine. Accompanying me today are Freedom Flyers, pilots, Freedom Flyers. We are not anti-vaccine. We are anti-mandate. My employer has done everything possible to prevent folks like me from exercising our Title VII rights to protect our faith and our medical autonomy under the American with Disabilities Act. People were told that they were effectively resigning, would never fly again, or would lose their retirement if they didn't take the shot. The lies and the pressure was unbearable. On September 2nd, when I learned that the window had passed to get an exemption to the mandate, I was fearful of losing my job, which would cause me not to provide for my children, and I caved under duress and got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. That was the single worst decision of my life. I violated my faith because my employer made me choose between my God and my job, a decision that almost cost me my life. Due to my body's adverse reaction to the jab, I was rushed to the hospital. Every day the side effects linger and I suffer chronic pain. Even though I only took the shot because of the mandate, my employer refuses to allow any workman's compensation claims and will not acknowledge their role in my situation to help me. Meanwhile, they continue to systematically terminate my co-workers who are resisting the violation of the court restraining order. Employees must have the right to choose what's best for their individual faith and for their personal medical situations. Well, there you have it. Uh, the lady you're hearing there is a flight attendant for a major airline. She doesn't say which major airline, and nor is it in the story I'm reading. But her name is Lisa Williams. She's a single mom from Tampa, Florida. She's part of a 2,000-member coalition of airline workers filing a lawsuit against the airline that they work for. Uh, so I'll do some digging on that, try to see if um, if the lawsuit is public. I can see which airline they're suing. Uh, but nonetheless, she suffered an adverse reaction uh, to the, the Johnson & Johnson shot, um, and the airline refused to continue paying her workman's comp 
uh, insurance and some other issues there. Uh, so she is suing that airline that, that coerced her to get the shot. Uh, you start making these companies pay the hospital bills of people who are being admitted over adverse reactions, uh, these companies will start thinking twice about forcing the jab on their employees. Uh, so hopefully that lawsuit will move forward and will uh, succeed. Uh, I'm going to go to the call to to uh, the phone lines. Here's a number to call in if you want to. Triple eight five eight nine eight eight four zero. Triple eight five eight nine eight eight four zero. If you want to call in to the show, uh, we'll go to Frank in Kentucky. Frank, welcome to the core. Hello. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I wanted to uh, just make a comment about the Rittenhouse shooting. I had watched the videos uh, with some website that did their specialty was to do analysis, photo analysis of what really happened. And they had several different angles of that shooting. Uh, apparently, there were a lot of people there with cell phones, and a lot of videos were taken. And this gentleman compiled uh, a video with an analysis of what really happened. And I have to say that uh, Rittenhouse is completely surrounded, and he was uh, really a in jeopardy of being murdered. However, one thing that struck me, and since this is a Christian radio station, was that um, his guardian angel was involved in uh, every shot he fired because um, each one was at the last second, and it was perfectly placed, the shot. And he defended his life. If it would have been me, and because of all the pressure the people surrounding you trying to kill you, I probably would have, would have ripped and let it spray. But uh, Rittenhouse... His shots were just had to be guided. The barrel of his gun, if you look at the videos, when the gun came up at the very last second, it was uh, it was divine providence that he was able to uh, send himself and, and survive. All right, uh, Frank, thank you for calling in, brother, to the show. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you look at Rittenhouse, I mean, he had to have had some training uh, because he, he responded very well under pressure. Uh, especially having his life uh, threatened there with with multiple firearms, people with firearms coming after him. Uh, We'll go to uh, Stephen in Arkansas. Hey, Stephen, welcome to the Corps. How's it going, bud? Hey, Stephen, doing pretty well, brother. How about you? I'm doing great, bud. First, I'd like to say, man, did I really like y'all's channel on the radio. I listen to it almost every day. But uh, about Rittenhouse, um, you know, I heard you say earlier, you know. All right. Uh, I think we just lost Frank in Arkansas. Hey, Frank, sorry about that, brother. If you want to call back in, we'll get you back on. 888-589-8840 is the number to call in. 888-589-8840. Uh, sorry about that, Frank. Try to call back in, and we'll get you on. Uh, we'll go to Lynn in Arkansas. Hey, Lynn, welcome to the Corps. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to say I um, I believe Kyle uh, shot in self-defense, but last night I heard a commentator on TV say that um, there was a comment by one of the attorneys toward the jury, kind of like people are watching you, as if, you know, you've got to be careful about the, uh, the verdict, you know, and you know how people come after people nowadays. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of, uh, you know, people who, in other words, it might influence the jury's decision, which is would really be tragic. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you look at, at at the good point there, Lynn, and I'll comment on that. I'll I'll, I'll let you go. Um, you look at um, at at the media coverage of this. I mean, you had you had media outlets uh, right after this and the months following, just calling Kyle Rittenhouse a murderer and a terrorist, and you had talking heads and op eds and all of this heavy narrative that that basically Kyle Rittenhouse, not basically that Kyle Rittenhouse is a murderer. He's guilty. He needs to go to jail. He's a terrorist, and there's no need for a trial. And this is the problem with our media now is they don't they don't caveat anything. They don't disclaim anything. They make definitive, absolute statements, and they claim to be journalists, and they convict people before they even have a trial. And so that's a major problem, to your point, Lynn, and that you, you can't say that doesn't affect the potential jury selection, which has already been done in this case, but in every case, I mean, I mean, it's, it's basically Kyle Rittenhouse is having, is fighting an uphill battle. Is fighting an uphill battle because all these major media outlets and these Democrat politicians all convicted him before a trial took place. I mean, we had a candidate, Joe Biden. I saw this tweet where he convicted Kyle Rittenhouse. Of, of being guilty of murder and being a terrorist before the trial even took place. Which brings up the whole discussion about a mistrial. And it's a valid discussion that should be had uh, with these people weighing in on this stuff before it even is allowed to go before a jury. It's absolutely um, insane. Let's go to Brian in Alabama. Hey, Brian, welcome to the core. Hey, thank you. Um, I just have a a comment that if if it was an anarchy situation like that, there was no law enforcement there to do anything about anything. I don't I didn't see anybody else getting um charges for, you know, assault with deadly weapons other than him. And quite honestly, if the if the law enforcement isn't isn't doing anything are you supposed to just sit there and watch the world run over the top of you? That doesn't make any sense. That's a very good point, Brian. I mean, does Rittenhouse have a legal obligation to protect life and property? Does Rittenhouse, did Rittenhouse have a legal obligation to protect innocent life and private property? That's a very good point. And it depends on what state you're in, what municipality you're in. The laws vary. Um, but but this whole, this whole accusing the the, the, the people who are protecting innocent life of being the bad guys, I mean, people were burning down Kenosha, Wisconsin. Their mobs were running the streets. And here we are, here the prosecutor is, going after the one guy who was actually following the majority of the laws on the books. There, there's really only one law that you can accuse Rittenhouse of breaking, and I talked to Bobby, my producer, about this during the break, and pretty much the only law that you could possibly convict Rittenhouse of is possession of a dangerous weapon under, uh, 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 by a person under 18. That's according to Wisconsin state law, which prohibits minors from possessing firearms except for hunting. Minors being those under 18, which Rittenhouse was clearly a minor. And that's, that, that sentence is up to nine, nine months in jail. When you look at these seven charges, that is pretty much the only charge that Rittenhouse can be convicted of. Nine months in jail for possessing a firearm when he was underage. The rest of them, when you look at the evidence, he can't be convicted of. 
Um, and, and where are all the charges for all the people who are burning the businesses down? Where are those charges? Where are those trials? Why are they not on television? And why aren't people roundly condemning them and convicting them before the trial happens and before the jury is convened? Uh, we'll move on, and I'll go to Cheryl in the state of Ohio. Hey, Cheryl, welcome to the court. Hi, thank you very much. Earlier you were talking about holding companies uh, responsible for adverse effects when you have to have the jab. Well, earlier today on AFR, I was listening. I don't know who the speaker was, but they were saying that there was a congresswoman who is trying to pass some legislation through that makes it mandatory for a person to be informed that there are other ways of combating COVID-19, uh, COVID-19 other than the vaccination. And I would like you to possibly find out who that congresswoman is and encourage your listeners to call her and to call our congresspeople and say, hey, get behind her. Because more and more facts are coming out as far as natural immunity, um, God's given vitamins, mm. and, you know, the different medicines that are available to us. Yeah, very good point, Cheryl. I'll look into that and see if I can find that congresswoman. And to your point, you know, the FDA and the CDC and these big pharma companies are spending millions of dollars on advertising, if not billions, on advertising for these shots. Why aren't they advertising vitamins, daily vitamins, or maybe going walking a mile a day? (laughs) Why not advertise all of those things that are scientifically proven to uh, help your health? Hey, if you, if you know of someone who has had an adverse reaction to the jab, I want you to email me. I want you to email me their story. My email is thecore at afa.net. Thecore at afa.net. Email the show, thecore at afa.net. Email me who you know that has had an adverse reaction to the jab. Tell me some information about their story, everything you got, and I want to look over those. Yeah, that's the core at afa.net. I'm Walker Wildman. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.